0: This is the International Anthony Burgess Foundation podcast. In this episode, we continue our celebration of Anthony Burgess's poetry by interviewing Jonathan Mann, the editor of Burgess's Collected Poems. This collection brings previously unpublished poems into print and re-examines many of the poems found in Burgess's novels. It also includes Burgess's long-form poems such as Moses, a retelling of the biblical story which has been out of print for over 40 years. Jonathan Mann is a teacher, editor, researcher, poet and musician. He completed a PhD in the poetry of Anthony Burgess and has published widely on Burgess's writing. Jonathan is also curator of poetry through the Capital Letters Live Poetry Series. Collected poems by Anthony Burgess is published by Carcanet and is out now.
1: It's a pleasure to have Jonathan Mann down the line. Uh, Jonathan, you're the editor of this magnificent 500-page collection of Burgess's poems—the uh, first complete um, selection or collection of his work that we've had. Maybe, as a first question, you could tell us something about how your work began on Burgess and his poetry.
2: Well, thank you, Andrew. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be with you and a uh, pleasure to be discussing this this project with you. Um, <clears throat> I think it's fair to say that the the project began as. Um, as a scholarly project um, it, it actually goes back to about 1999 or 2000 when uh, it seemed appropriate for me to uh, to collate some of the um, existing poems from um, from many of the novels especially the the NDB novels. I, I just had a scholarly interest in, in the um, in the, in the poems as they as they're published in those novels um, so it, it was just really something I used and brought together so that I could study and understand the poems. Um, and in the process of doing so, um, I realised that there's um, something. There's a sort of a, a hidden uh, series of texts, although they're not so hidden uh, within within the within the novels. Um, so I ended up with a collection of something like um, maybe fifty to one hundred. Uh, poems, because at the time I was uh, was writing on Burgess's poetry, and I was I was investigating uh, Burgess as a poet for the first time, most especially um, in connection with the Enderby novel. So, yeah, I, I put together a, a very small collection for my own purposes, so that I could read the poems in context as poems, as poems that were divorced from their settings in the novel, and in the process of doing so it became clear to me that the poems themselves um, exist in a, a very cohesive way and can be read on their own terms, most especially uh, in relation to uh, Burgess's contemporaries. And I, I, be, I became very interested in um, who Burgess was reading as a poet. And I became very interested in where these, these strange and wonderful and highly... Um, Uh, highly and tightly written pieces were coming from.
1: Okay, let me take you back to the beginnings of the Burgess Foundation. I understand that you met Liana Burgess in, must have been 2004, um, and proposed the book to her. And that's an interesting story, and it would be good to know more about that.
2: I gave a a talk at a a Burgess Foundation event in Liverpool some time ago. And um, my talk was about, burgess and his poetry and i was reading burgess as a modernist poet and i delivered this this talk and at the front was um uh, was was a woman who was looking very kindly towards me um and i sort of half recognized her and um so in the course of completing the uh the speech uh, i got some some very kind feedback from, uh, from this person. And, and, and yes, it was uh, Liana Burgess. And she said to me that she thought Anthony would have enjoyed my uh, talk, which was something that gave me a great deal of personal pleasure. Um, and through that meeting, um, I was uh, introduced to, um, to Alan Ruffley, the, uh, the original director of, of the Burgess Foundation, and then to you, Andrew, um, and um our scholarly relationship built up from there. Um, but I also was in touch with Liana a few times, um, and she gave me permission to, to work with um some unpublished work, um, and she was extraordinarily supportive of 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 the, the enterprise. And um I I found it a real privilege to be working um with Liana and, and to, to, to have that very kind uh, support from her.
1: It's very interesting what you say about the way that Burgess valued his poetry and Liana's suggestion that he might have enjoyed the idea of it being collected, because it seems to me that throughout his life, there's a very ambiguous relationship between the writing of narrative prose fiction and the writing of poetry. Uh, Almost an embarrassment about it, maybe, in that he's often smuggling poetry into the novel. Uh, and yet it wasn't until he was more than halfway through his career, I suppose, with uh, the novel ABBA, ABBA, where he finally uh, sort of came out and presented poems, um, you know, just as that. Because prior to that, they'd been there in the end novels, but within the frame of a fiction. And I suppose you, you've still got that frame in the ABBA novel. Um, so, all right, there is a question here. I wonder if you could tell us about how Burgess came to poetry and why he didn't persist with it, why um, after his earliest poems were published he then went away and did other things, and maybe how he came back to it later on. I would say Burgess
2: did pursue his poetry and we can um, we can track its course throughout his career. Um, and that begins, as I said, with these uh, these short form modernist experimentations in the 1930s, persisting through into the 1950s with the, the the works that you've spoken about, which are included in his novels. And then in the 70s, he became a much more expansive long form writer. Uh, 1973 and 1974, especially, being uh, high points of his productivity as a long form poet, um, and then. In the 80s, there was more experimentation, more, more poems being, being written,
1: and then ending in the 90s with, with Byrne. Jonathan, the work in this book, it's very varied. There are different kinds of poetry that we find here. Very briefly, for people who don't know the work, could you sum up what they can expect from the Byrne's collected poems?
2: I think they can expect some, um, some very expansive poems, poems that are very adventurous, Poems that uh, seek to tackle uh, very wide-ranging themes and very a, a diversity of themes. And I think readers will see formal experimentation. So you'll see a different, uh, each, each, almost each page offers a different type of poetry and it offers a different type of form. And readers will be able to see the multiplicity of styles and techniques and linguistic innovations that is present within Burgess's poetry.
1: Let me ask you about your research journey. Tell me where you went. Where did you find the manuscripts and typescripts that have gone into this book?
2: The manuscripts and typescripts that uh, went into this book come from two main sources, uh, two main archives. The archive that I think we should mention most is the, um, the archive in the International Anthony Burgess Foundation, because that archive, especially at the time when I was um, researching this book, was still producing um, new material, and new material kept emerging. Um, so, in many respects, I felt as though I was working at the forefront of the archive's del- um, discoveries, and uh, there was there was a, a very good partnership with the archivists there. Um, and, the material that came from the foundation was um, was uh, paper manuscripts, and um, as um, but also lurking within fly leaves of books, there were and, and matchbooks and things like that. Um, there was poetry to be to be discovered, um, and some things were catalogued and some things were not, and that was a really exciting uh, process. Another archive uh, that, that features um, in this work or where the work comes from, is, um, is the Harry Ransom archive at the University of Texas in Austin, uh, which has a very extensive collection of letters and draft uh, novels and draft plays and um, miscellaneous um, collections of manuscripts. And those were inspected too, um, and that yielded well for me
1: so who were the poets who influenced Burgess? I mean, when he's starting off in the 20s and 30s, I suppose, as a reader, which are the poets who are really making a mark on him, do you think? Well, I think the,
2: the key one early in his career was, was Hopkins. Um, as I said before, he, he began his career um, as a writer echoing Hopkins. Empson um, was a, a, also a strong influence, especially early on. Um, and we see that in things like the revolutionary sonnets. In terms of linguistic sound effects, Burgess followed Hopkins. In terms of form, I think, uh, and, and, and some content, I think, I think we see we hear Empson. Um, but in terms of the way that Burgess responds to other poets, and the way that Burgess uses mythic, things like mythic devices, or the way that he's interpreting history, especially ancient history and bringing it back into more modern forms. I think um, Burgess takes a lot from Eliot.
1: At this point, we might ask Burgess to join the conversation. We've got a recording of him reading some of his favourite poems here.
3: April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Winter kept us warm, covering earth in forgetful snow, feeding a little life with dried tubers. Summer surprised us, coming over the Stambergersee with a shower of rain. We stopped in the Hofgarten and drank coffee and talked for an hour. Bin gar keine Russin, stamm aus Litauen, echt Deutsch. And when we were children, staying at the Archdukes, my cousins, he took me out on a sled and I was frightened. He said, Marie, Marie, hold on tight. And down we went. In the mountains, there you feel free. I read much of the night and go south in the winter. What are the roots that clutch? What branches grow out of this stony rubbish? Son of man, you cannot say or guess, for you know only a heap of broken images where the sun beats and the dead tree gives no shelter, the cricket no relief, and the dry stone no sound of water. Only there is shadow under this red rock. Come in under the shadow of this red rock. And I will show you something different from either your shadow at morning striding behind you or your shadow at evening rising to meet you. I will show you fear in a handful of dust.
1: The longest poem in the book is Moses, the epic poem, really, written in conjunction with the Moses television series in the 1970s. Now, most readers won't know this poem. It's been out of print for more than 40 years Tell us what kinds of writing we find in Moses.
2: Burgess, in his preface, doesn't acknowledge it as a poem. He's He says it's, it's a treatment. He says he used the form to contain the enormity of the subject. And the epic form that he's chosen, the very uh, ancient, traditional epic form that he's chosen, is in many respects um, well-suited for the... Um, for the biblical language, and the biblical action, and the the biblical narrative, of course, highly biblical narrative of Moses.
1: I wanted to ask you about some of the political poems which are in the book as well. For example, O Lord, O Ford, uh, God Help Us, Also You, which is a reflection on the American presidency, very timely. Also the essay on censorship, which was written in the wake of the Rushdie Affair in 1989. Do you think people will be surprised to discover that Burgess was also such a political writer?
2: Well, some of the writings that Burgess is most famous for, um, and of course, thinking about um, Clockwork Orange or uh, Earthly Powers, are in themselves quite political books. Burgess was um, somebody who experienced uh, the end of the British Empire and the collapse of the Empire. He uh, had so a colonial experiences. A teacher in in Malaya. Uh, he also um, he also participated in the Second World War, um, and he um, he then saw the way that uh, the post war world was changing, and that was reflected in uh, novels like um, Tremor of Intent. So, other works um, are political in, in in theme, if not in intent. For example, in The Wanting Seed, he talks about overpopulation and talks about um, food supply. And in 1984, he's tackling trade unionism. And in *The Clockwork Orange, he's talking about criminality and uh, the policies and politics around that. And in Tremor of Intent, he he writes about the Cold War and the ethics of of brinkmanship. And in Earthly Powers, uh, Burgess goes to great lengths to, uh, to pass comment on um, on Nazism and the Holocaust and where we go from there. So I think if you read the novels in that kind of context, it's not so surprising that uh, political commentary finds its way into the poems.
1: I think there is something quite peculiar about the, the Ford poem, Gerald Ford, in that it was published on the opinion pages of the New York Times, um, at the end of 1974, with a big cartoon by Ralph Steadman, I was trying to think which living poet would get that kind of exposure, would get two pages, broadsheet pages in the New York Times, with a Stedman cartoon to write a poem about the State of the Union. Uh, and, of course, he's not even American. Um, and there, I have no idea who commissioned this, but part of the surprise is to think about how that Poem came about, uh, and also the, um, the confidence of Burgess kind of rising to the challenge, I suppose.
2: Um, I think Burgess always had the confidence to be able to pass comment. He was a journalist as well, so he was very connected to, um, to contemporary debates, political or otherwise. And that poem um, can stand alongside other poems uh, that are about radically different subjects, but also are uh, poems written about substantial, expansive concepts.
1: Burgess described himself sometimes as a novelist who was a failed musician. And it's also worth remembering, he never claimed the title of poet for himself in his lifetime. And with all of that having been said, I wonder how seriously did he take its poetry? How seriously should we take it?
2: Burgess, as I said, wanted to be published um, and he was serious enough to write, um, to write reams of the stuff. He produced a great deal of poetry and um, the manuscripts I inspected suggested that he was writing poetry in between everything else. So he might have uh, spent the day writing his famous thousand words before breakfast, then maybe he'll write a sonnet. And then perhaps um, we'll have a sonata for lunch, and then then back to prose in the afternoon. Um, I think Burgess was writing poetry as part of his ongoing practice as an artist. And I think if Burgess didn't regard himself as a poet, he wouldn't have gone through what must have been a huge amount of agony and, and labor in producing these very long, these these very expansive, long form, experimentalist, um, but formalist
1: poems. It's interesting to think about the discipline of writing poems alongside writing so much else. And one of the things Paul Howard demonstrated in his work on the Belly Manuscripts was that he really did write a poem or a translation of a poem every day at one period in the 1970s. That's kind of interesting um, if you want to think about Burgess, you know, keeping going and keeping the work coming out. As we've been speaking, it seems to me that there's a comparison to be drawn between what he's doing with his poetry and what he does with his music, because the range, and the formal variety of the music finds its parallel in his poetic output, it seems to me. Um, Anyway, all of that's a prelude to asking you, what are your favourite poems in this book and what do you think are the best poems in the collected poems?
2: Well, I'm going to sidestep the question because I I, I don't really want to suggest I have a favourite poem, although I might, but that's going to stay secret. But... Um, there is a poem that I want to bring to people's attention, which is, uh, in my view, a very unusual poet a poem, a very unusual poem, and um, seemingly um, out of step with much of the other material. And that's a strange poem uh, called Nostalgia in Head Plunging. And it's not my favourite poem, but I think it's the most... Um, interesting poem it's it's a very undeveloped poem i don't think it was ever designed for publication really it's a it's it's um it's a piece of experimental uh, experimental writing that i don't think was intended for publication i think it's a very personal uh, piece of writing but um it's unusually direct and it um, intervenes with um with debates about what
1: poetry is What do you think is new in this book, Jonathan, and what aspects of Burgess that we didn't know about before can we begin to see through these collected poems? I think the new thing we see is the sheer
2: scale of the Enterprise because it's now presented on its own terms and we see how adventurous Burgess was as a poet, as a poet of multiple forms, as a long-form poet. I think we also see Burgess as um, highly experimental. I think the experimentalism um, that he's famous for in in, in novels such as A Clockwork Orange can be seen here. And I think because this is, as it were, closer to his source material for the linguistic experimentalism, and I'm talking about Hopkins, Auden, Pound, uh, Empson, because it's closer to that, I think we see new um, ways of understanding Burgess's linguistic experimentalism. So I think that's a key way of looking
1: at Burgess anew. Jonathan, thank you very much. You've you've uh, you know opened the door on the, the range and variety of Burgess's poetic work, and I'm sure this book is going to delight uh, many readers. It certainly deserves to. So to play us out, Here's a recording of Burgess reading from one of his favourite poets. Uh, This is Edith Sitwell, a piece from her facade.
3: When Walton wrote music, which was a rather witty parody of popular dance forms and popular songs, in a sense affirming that here is the reality. The reality is here, in the music. These are dances, these are songs, we know where we stand. There's no adventure here. The adventure, the setting free, which is normally left to music... It was, in fact, left to the words. You remember this particular poem. When Sir Beelzebub called for his syllabub in the hotel in hell, blue as the waves of the sea, were the gendarmerie rocking and shocking the barmaid. Nobody comes to give him his rum but the rim of the sky, hippopotamus glum, enhances the chances to bless with a benison, Alfred Lord Tennyson crossing the bar laid with pale vegetation of pale deputations of temperance workers all sign in memoriam, hoping in glory to trip up the laureate's feet, moving in classical meters. Like Balaklava, the lava came down from the roof and the sea's blue wooden gendarmerie took him in charge while Beelzebub calls for his run. None of them come. There's a word for that, and the word is surrealism.
0: You've been listening to the International Anthony Burgess Foundation podcast. Collected poems by Anthony Burgess, edited by Jonathan Mann and published by Carcanet, is available now from your favourite place to buy books. For more information on Anthony Burgess and the work of the Burgess Foundation, visit www.antonyburgess.org.